Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Top 5 at 5. I want to give you guys some of the best uh, stock ideas from some of the best money managers out there. No pressure there, Brian. Brian Madden, welcome. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for the warm welcome. Try and live up to that uh, star billing. <laughs> and I should say good read investments as well. Uh, head portfolio manager and strategy. Are you the CEO now as well? I'm not the CEO. I'm a senior okay. portfolio manager. Gordon, <laughs> okay. Gordon Reed is our CEO. Okay, perfect. Um, so, Brian, let's uh, let's get to this right now. Um, you know, I think that we always talk a lot about macro pictures, but people at the end of the day still want to own some good stocks that they have high conviction in. Uh, for the coming year. So let, let's go through your top five right now. What, and, and, and for everybody out there, um, we are going to say the highest conviction idea for last. So stay tuned. Um, but Brian, what's, what's first on your radar? Uh, well, I think um, let's start where the action has been year to date in the, uh, in the Canadian stock market, and that's in the oil patch. And so uh, our exposure there in the Goodread portfolios, the Canadian ones managed by me, um, our, uh, our best idea in the oil patch right now is Parex Resources. Tarex. Okay, what's the ticker, please? Parex, sorry. The ticker Parex. is P- PXT on the Toronto Exchange. Okay, and, and give us a little bit more background in terms of, um, you know, why this company and with the huge run-up that we've seen in oil and even today on the down day, uh, is how the market started out. We still saw WTI moving higher and stocks moving higher. Um, why do we still want to get into this sector? Well, we think, um, you know, oil prices have been pretty hot lately, but um, that's in the face of strong demand and question marks around whether, um, you know, idle supply can come back on quickly. Um, you know, there is some uncertainty about that. Uh, but certainly what we're seeing is a robust economic recovery and with it, uh, recovery and demand for things like jet fuel and gasoline and, and all the other, um, you know, sort of downstream markets for hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's why we like um, the space. And, and the other thing, you know, not to be forgotten is uh, positioning is pretty important here as well. So Catherine, you know, we've been doing this year and I a long time and certainly we've seen uh, wholesale carnage in the oil patch uh, for much of the last seven or eight years since about 2014. Um, to the point that, you know, at the, the Nader, um, the weight of the exploration, production, and integrated oil companies in the TSX got down to sub 3%, which is a far cry from nearly 30% that it was 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and so that's important because that uh, level of weighting in the TSX uh, equity benchmark makes it small enough that generalists can just overlook the whole sector and zero weight it. Uh, and we think now they're having a bit of a rethink on that zero weighting and, you know, wrap yourself in greenwashing, given that energy was the best performing sector last year and given where oil prices are today. And um, PXT, the ticker that we're, you know, the company that we're talking about here, um, an oil producer in Canada, 
um, you, you say it's under the radar for a lot of investors. Why do you think that is? And, and what would be the catalyst to get it on the radar? Yeah, okay. So we'll start with the first part of the question. So um, it's a mid-cap name. It's about a $3 billion market cap. So when when large investors are looking to deploy money in the sector, the go-to names that they usually start with would be things like Suncor, Canadian Natural Resources, Sinovis, and you know the big heavyweights. Um, this one is down the capitalization spectrum, so it's not the first one on people's radar for that reason. And the other reason uh, is because it's harder to do diligence the asset. So while the company is listed on the Toronto board, all the production is in Colombia. Uh, and they're producing about 50,000 barrels a day uh, down there. Um, and they are one of the lowest cost producers listed on the Toronto board among any of the mid and large cap names to the point that Catherine, they actually made money in 2020 when oil was on its knees and most of the rest of the oil patch was cutting dividends, violating debt covenants and you know, generally in financial distress. And how do you calculate the geographic risk? Well, Colombia is not uh, the Colombia of the 1990s with cartels and, um, you know, uh, Escobar and all that. It's, um, you know, it's certainly not as stable as Western Canada, but in the spectrum of geopolitical risk and in the, you know, the range of places you find oil, it's sort of a moderate risk country these days um, that is reasonably friendly to foreign investment. The royalty um, regime there is pretty investor friendly. Hmm. Uh, corporate tax rates not too onerous, and the rule of law is pretty good there. You know, I can think in the last four years there was maybe one brief one week or ten day interruption to production because of unrest in the country. So, hmm. uh, not too too concerned about about political risk down there. Okay, um, you know, I I own a lot of energy, and and this is actually not on my radar screen, so I'll take a look. So thanks for that. Um, let's, let's, so, so I, I, I want to add something really also important here that uh, I didn't quite get a chance to touch on. This company, unlike much of the oil patch, is very, very shareholder return focused uh, rather than just drill, baby, drill, uh, which is the mantra in many of the other EMP companies. And the proof point is that they've retired 10% of their shares in each of the last two, three years via normal course issuer bids. They've enacted a dividend. They even paid a special dividend last month, actually. Yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, return on invested capital and returning cash back to shareholders. Very, very refreshing for a resource company and an oil company in particular. Nice. Um, all right. What's the next uh, top idea? Uh, Canada Goose was on the list. Yeah. And why? Well, well uh, it's not just because we had a world record snowfall here in Toronto yesterday, <laughs> although uh, this company does uh, come to top of mind this time of year. Uh, we like it because this is a bona fide secular growth story in Canada, and there is a dearth of, um, you know, rapid secular growth companies in Canada relative to somewhere like the United States, for instance. Uh, strong brand, um, you know, time-tested, very high quality, uh, caters to sort of the upper end of the mass market and into the affluent category. We think there's a geographic expansion opportunity here. The brand's well-known in Canada. You know, everywhere you look in wintertime here, you see somebody wearing one of these jackets. That's much less the case in New York, Chicago, and, and other cold northern U.S. cities, much mm -hmm. less the case in some of the European financial cap or um, fashion capitals where they're opening stores, and very much less the case in China, which is a major growth factor uh, for this company. 
and then the kicker is they're doing uh, product line extensions as well. So they now are also into footwear, which they launched just a few months ago. Um, you know, it's a great, um, great market reaction. And, um, you know, I think for viewers to know, you, you spent a lot of time covering specialty retail companies um, in, in your earlier part of your career, correct? Yeah, so in a former role, I managed uh, an asset allocation fund and was a generalist, but I had a side responsibility to be the firm's in-house consumer expert. And so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty deep on the consumer, uh, the consumer sector retailers and, and the other consumer names. Okay. And, and um, you know, I spent time at the beginning of my career um, doing as a junior analyst and special, uh, covering specialty retail back in the States. Um, so let me ask a couple of in-depth questions with respect to Canada Goose. What are the same store sales trends like? Um, and, and what are the year-over-year -year comparisons? How's the stock been performing? You know, what are some of the granularities here on, on, the, on the, you know, income statement balance sheet front? Sure. Yeah. So same store sales are, um, you know, the exact number escapes me, but I'll characterize them as being double digit. Uh, the other thing is there's a, a rapid pace of new store openings. You know, their total store base globally is only about 30 stores. So, so same store sales is, is a somewhat important metric, but they also have a lot of sales through the wholesale channel, which is uh, other fashion retailers, although they're trying to shift that mix more so towards their own branded stores. It allows for better margins and better uh, brand experience and, and brand equity uh, building capabilities, which is something I think is important. And then the other thing that sort of clouds it a little bit is, um, you know, the pandemic forced the closure of a lot of non-essential retail, which of course expensive winter parkas are non-essential, despite what the thermostat might say outdoors. Mm -hmm. Um, so they've really, really been um, successful in pivoting to e-commerce. They actually drive huge growth, um, you know, against a fairly low base in uh, e-commerce sales in the last couple of quarters, triple digit if memory serves um, correctly. Uh, and then how's the stock been doing? I think right now is a tremendous pullback and a great buying opportunity. It's kind of a volatile stock. Um, and I would say that's the case because they're, this is not your garden variety Canadian consumer name where it's mostly held by Canadian asset managers and institutions and pension funds. The majority of the stock is held by U.S. investors who tend to be um, a little quicker on the trigger finger. Um, and the stock reacts pretty dramatically when U.S. analysts, a lot of whom covered the stock, um, you know, take action on it, whether it's upgrading or downgrading. It was downgraded by, I believe, UBS a couple of days ago. Uh, it's also had a bit of mudslinging back and forth with the Chinese government about their refund and exchange policy in that country, which they've, um, you know, had to course correct on and, and liberalize their refund and exchange policy. All of which I think sets it up for, um, you know, a good entry point here. And the history of this company is when they report their results, which they will be doing on February the 4th, um, you get fireworks in the market. They've been very consistent in beating earnings and sales expectations since the IPO four years ago. Uh, we expect they'll do that again in early February. Okay. I can't believe it was only four years ago. It feels longer <laughs> that they IPO'd. Uh, let, let's take a look at the next uh, top five. What's the next stock? So we've got uh, TFI International, which is uh, a big trucking company, um, uh, great uh, consolidator of a fragmented industry. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, why is that something of interest now? Uh, or maybe it's been a name that you've owned for a long time. And then, I don't know, 
how any of the restrictions on the vaccines come into play with this stock? Did, did, was there any impact? Yeah, good uh, question. Lots in there. So I'll start with just sort of our history with it. We bought the stock, um, I want to say two, two and a half years ago in the high 40s, maybe a little $50 range. Um, you know, unbeknownst to us, there was a wicked pandemic coming down the pipeline that was going to sideswipe uh, supply chains from end to end to end. Um, so why now? Uh, why do we think there's still money to be made here? I guess the history of the company is the real proof point. This has been a tremendous compounder uh, over you know, more than a decade. It used to be an income trust converted back to corporate form when income trusts went the way of the dodo bird. Um, but more than anything else, trucking, you know, as you might imagine, is a pretty mature industry. You know, you're not going to get 20, 30% organic growth rates. Generally speaking, um, you get sort of GDP plus or minus growth rates. And so what this company has done is, um, much like Parx Resources, this company has managed for um, returns and not just for size and growth for growth sake. So the return on shareholders' equity is very high. It's you know, north of 20%. Um, they run lean, efficient operations, and, um, and they're very active acquirers and consolidators of small, medium, and large um, trucking fleets. Uh, with a big, big, big transformational deal, which they pulled the trigger on just about a year ago. They bought uh, kind of an orphaned asset within the U.S. shipping giant UPS. They bought their less-than-truckload division for about $800 million. This was fantastically accretive to their earnings, you know, 25 30% once it's fully integrated and synergized. Uh, and it was, you know, it came at a great time because right now, trucking markets are as tight as they have ever been, which means the companies have pricing power what used to be sort of a commodity price taker kind of a market, but capacity is tight. Uh, backlogs to order trailers and tractors is very, very long because of these semiconductor shortages plaguing the auto supply chain. And then the driver market is tight as well. Uh, one of the reasons for which you touched on, which is this vaccine mandate, um, you know, which is coming into effect that um, could tighten capacity even further with cross-border routes, drivers from the States coming up here to Canada. Uh, so they're just making an awful lot of money. Consensus has them earning about $6 a share this year, uh, which puts it at about 17 times earnings, which is pretty undemanding for a company that's grown, you know, at a high teens rate for a long, long, long time. Hmm. Um, I was wondering if the Titan capacity and the pricing power that the company has is priced into the stock. Um, sounds like from your perspective, it isn't. Um, but, but at 17 times for an industrial company, maybe it is a little bit. Uh, well, it, you know, it's sort of trading at parity with most of the other trucking companies, but it's much more profitable, especially by returns on invested capital, returns on equity, and it grows faster. Uh, and so, you know, we think that this is a market, you know, and an environment in which they're really going to make hay and take advantage of that, um, that pricing power. Mm -hmm. um, and so generally, this has been kind of a beat and raise sort of a company. So, you know, when I say consensus has them earning six U.S. dollars a share, because uh, they've reported in U.S. dollars, the big operation in the States here uh, as well. Um, generally, the history has shown that uh, they typically exceed those forecasts. So the real earnings power here, you know, is likely to be higher than that. In our okay, great. Uh, okay, Brian, we've got four minutes left. And re remember, we're saving your highest conviction idea for the last. So, and two names to go. Um, so what, what's the next one on your list? So the next one is Brookfield Asset Management, uh, one of the largest alternative asset managers in the world, certainly the largest in Canada. 
core holding in our Goodread Canadian portfolios and has been for many years and, and I expect will be for years to come. And, um, you know, this, this stock has performed very well. Um, do, you, do you trim the position or do you just kind of let it run? I'm kind of curious because time and time again, it just continues to outperform. They just seem to, to run that company so well. Yeah, I mean, they actually disclosed at their investor day back in September in New York that they have compounded shareholder returns in Brookfield Asset Management and predecessor company, which is uh, Raskan, at a 20% compound rate over the last 30 years. So I forget what that rolled up to, but it was something like a 30 or 40 bagger on a dollar invested in the stock back then. So yeah, prudence would dictate that you trim positions and they get to be an outsized weight in your portfolio. And we apply that discipline to all of our positions, no matter how much conviction we have in the name, Brookfield Asset Management included. Okay. And just for anybody who you know has heard of the name, but don't really know what they do or invest in, can you give us the one-liner there? Yeah, it's a big alternative asset manager. They manage about $550 billion across different uh, long duration real assets like real estate, private equity, infrastructure, renewable energy, and uh, a newly launched line of business reinsurance just in the last couple of quarters. Um, so just a great secular winner with the shift towards alternatives and uh, big scale and operating footprint advantage that few others can match. Okay. Um, and they pay dividend. Uh, a very modest dividend. I think the yield is sub uh, half a percent. It's, okay. you know, they <laughs> sort of take the view that capital is better recycled and reinvested in the business and return to shareholders. Ordinarily, we don't agree with that mantra, but they have, um, you know, they have, we give them the benefit of the doubt given their track record. Okay. And lastly, we've got about a minute left. What's the top idea? Highest conviction idea? Nutrien. Uh, so this is uh, Canada's biggest mining company, one of the biggest agribusinesses in the world. Uh, they're going to make just a boatload of money this year because with high cash crop prices, corn, wheat, soybeans, we've got very, very, very tight fertilizer markets. So they mine potash, nitrogen and phosphates. And they've got a great, um, very large downstream retail farm supply uh, network that's uh, here in North America, in Australia, and in South America. Uh, stocks pulled back a bit in the last two weeks on an unexpected departure of the CEO. Um, but we think that affords an excellent entry point. And in time, they'll kind of get past that chasm and hire a very capable CEO. Anything there we need to know about or worry about? Uh, no, I'll just say that the CEO departure was not well telegraphed to the market. It was a second departure of a CEO on sort of short notice inside of a year. So kind of unusual, but Catherine Rieslar's companies are about, um, you know, assets and people and the assets in this case are 40, 50, 60 year uh, reserve life deposits, world-class deposits of potash, nitrogen and phosphate. So those assets are going to be in the ground regardless of who's in the C-suite, whether the chair's empty for a few months. And so we think they will conduct a search and hire a very capable replacement for the outgoing CEO. Uh, and in the meantime, with the shares off the high by about eight or 9%, it's a pretty good and pretty timely entry point in what should be a great year for this company fundamentally. Okay, excellent. Um, that ticker there is NTR. Brian, we're gonna leave it there. We did top five in 20, uh, 20 minutes. So thank right. you for your time. A lot of great ideas there. Uh, with the fundamental knowledge uh, backdrop as well, which I think is so important to share to, to investors and viewers so they kind of understand why and, and where you're coming from. So thank you very much for that. A real pleasure, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And we'll leave it there. Top five.